You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. But before I get into that, let me go ahead and introduce myself just in case you're new to my ministry. My name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I'm not an actual Christian author, but that is somebody wants to know, what do you do? Or what would you like for me to pay attention to? It would be my books. Um, I've written seven books. I'm a child of God. So author does not define who I am. But if you're not familiar with my ministry, I got to somehow explain to you why should I listen to anything you have to say or what would you like me to check out? It would be my books. So spent a lot of times I spent a lot of time writing books and I've written seven books. All my books are available on Amazon. Check them out if you get some time. If you have read any of my books, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. Please go back to Amazon or wherever you purchase the book and leave me a review. I also have a podcast. I'm recording my latest episode. It is called Walk Talks with Matt McMillan, and it's available on all of your favorite podcast apps, podcasting apps, however you say that. I have a podcast. (laughs) If you're listening to the podcast and if you're enjoying it, maybe you've not yet left a review, please pause the podcast and leave me a quick review and a little blurb if you wouldn't mind. Greatly appreciate that. Don't do that unless you're in a safe safe spot to do it. I know a lot of people tell me they they, uh, listen to my podcast while they drive, so don't do it while you're driving. Wait (laughs) wait till you get to Chick-fil-A or wait till you get to work, wait till you get to the gym or wherever you're going, to school, whatever. Leave me a review. I'm also on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. If you've been listening, you might enjoy future walk talks. If you hit that subscribe button, you will be notified. Hit that bell button if you want to get the alert that I have released a new walk talk. Also hit that thumbs up button. I'm not a pastor, I'm a regular person just like you, or pastors only used one time in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, and we see no list of qualifications, we see no list of authority. So we are giving people authority, who according to the Bible, where we're supposed to get our truth from, have no authority. We are also saying that they are able to do what they're doing based on qualifications from scripture. That's not in the Bible either. So, and I'm gonna dive deep into that today. All right, what else? Um, I don't know everything. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be known for somebody who I got to go to Matt to get every single answer. So I don't know everything. I'm learning and growing just like you. Here's what I do know. I understand the truths of the new covenant, who is Jesus. Okay, what he's done at the cross, which is completely forgive you. What he's done through the resurrection, which has caused you to become completely righteous. So your complete forgiveness, you access that once in your lifetime by grace through faith. Your complete righteousness, you access that once in your lifetime by grace through faith. Those two things I do know, and I will not change my mind on that. Okay? I'm not going to turn repentance into a work in order to sustain those things. I'm not going to turn confession into a work in order to sustain those things. I'm not going to change my mind or alter anything about your complete forgiveness because the cross is greater, your complete righteousness because the resurrection is greater. Okay. Everything else, I'm maturing just like you. And if you've read my books, you can see my maturation process over the years of how I describe certain things. Um, certain parts of my theology, uh, you know, in regard to building up your complete forgiveness and complete righteousness, you can see those pieces building as I grow myself. And of course, as you read my books, 
There's nothing contrary to that in my books. So you can read my books worry-free, but you will see me mature as I write because it took me years to write my books and I, I didn't know everything until I knew what I knew then and I still don't know everything. All right. So it's the same with you. I, I don't ever want you to feel intimidated when you listen to my podcast, watch me on YouTube, read my books. I want you to be confident in who you are as a child of God and I want you to be confident in who confident in who Christ is and I want you to be confident together. All right. So I hope you feel that. I hope you you get that whenever you're paying attention to any part of my ministry. All right. So let's get to today's walk talk. Why are there pulpits in church? Why are there pulpits in church? What do you think? Give me just a moment. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. That's my neighbor. She's a nice lady. I actually went to school with her. She was class of 98 at Central. I'm class of 99 at Central, so I've known her for a long time. Um, but why are there pulpits in church? Now, today what I'm going to do, we're going to go over the word pulpit in great detail. Then we're going to attempt to go back to scripture or we're not even going to attempt to. We're going to do that. We're going to go back to scripture and try to get some foundation for what the body of Christ is supposed to look like according to the Bible. Okay, so we're going to look at the word pulpit in the Old Testament and we're going to look for the word pulpit in the New Testament. Okay, let's just do that. So when we read the Bible, something happened and it's called the New Covenant and it came into play at the cross. So when I do my walk talks, I always try to compare things to what happened before the cross and after the cross. But today, I'm still going to do that, but I'm going to reference the Old Testament and then the New Testament based on the divider between Malachi and Matthew or Malachi, if you're Italian. <laughs> Or if you're spicy, it's not Malachi, it's Malachi. But let's look to the only instance. First of all, let me let me precipice with this. The title of this walk talk is, Why Are There Pulpits in Church? And if you don't know what a pulpit is, if you're watching this, maybe you've never heard of a pulpit. A pulpit is the podium or the the small little location that the person preaching stands at okay it is the focal point of everything in the church the pulpit but when we go back to scripture and we simply search for the word pulpit the word pulpit is not in the bible okay now in the king james translation in nehemiah chapter 8 verse 4 that is the only translation that says pulpit. But the new King James translation, the new King James version does not say pulpit. It says wooden platform, platform of wood. Okay, so we're going to come back to that. Um, and a lot of people who really push King Jamesism on the people, they'll say, see right here, it does say pulpit, so we need pulpits. No, even if you want to say, okay, it says pulpit, we're still going to explain <laughs> that a pulpit has no business in our churches when we just look to the Bible. And here's why. So when we 
when we look for the, the root word for pulpit, it is a Latin word, pulpitum. So pulpit and then U-M, pulpitum. Okay, the word pulpitum simply means wooden platform. Okay, so we got that established. Here's where the word came from. Greek word, pulpitum, means wooden platform. Okay, so if you're still used to focusing on a pulpit, you're still there. You're like, yep, 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 yep. Still, nothing's changed for me, Matt. All right, so, but when we go to the Bible, and we search for the word pulpit. In the Old Testament, it's not there. It's only in the King James translation, which hasn't been updated. Now, when they update a translation, how do they do that? They find older manuscripts of the original transcripts, excuse me, older transcripts of the original manuscripts. Okay, so the older the writing, the more authentic. So when they find something older for the book of Nehemiah, discoveries are made and they find older transcripts of the original manuscripts, they will go back and update the actual text in our translation. So newer translations mean they're more accurate because they have discovered more transcripts that are older of what they've already based their writings on, their translation on. Okay, so the older, the more authentic. So when they find something, they update it. All right, so the King James was great, but in, in the year 1600, there's been older transcripts found of the original manuscripts. That's why it's been updated. That's why there's a new King James. And the new King James does not say pulpit. It says wooden platform. But regardless, let's just say it says pulpit. If you want to stick to that, that's fine. Let's look at the context. What is the context of Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 4? <laughs> Nehemiah, the whole letter. Okay, so when we just go to this passage, pull it out of context and say, see right here, you're supposed to be paying attention to people who are in the pulpit. There's no context for that whatsoever. What was happening in chapter 8? Of Nehemiah. There was a person named Ezra. Ezra. Who's Ezra? Ezra was a, it says he was a priest, a scribe, a teacher of the law. Okay. Ezra gets up on a wooden platform. He gets up on this wooden platform. He opens up the book of the law and begins reading all 613 commandments. Okay. Do we do that on this side of the cross? No. Romans chapter 10 says, Christ is the end of the law for all who have believed. Romans chapter 6 says, sin will no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Okay, so that right there, would we ever see a pastor up on a wooden platform reading the 613 commandments? No. Okay, so we cannot apply that to <laughs> what we see on Sundays. In regard to saying, this is a pulpit, this is in the Bible, this is what we're supposed to do. Because Ezra, number one, was not a pastor. He was a priest, a scribe, a teacher of the law. Ezra was not at a church. There was no church. The Jews didn't go to church. <laughs> they went to the temple. And this was not happening in the temple from a pastor. They also went to the synagogue. 
And of course there was oration or uh, speaking of the law. That's basically what the synagogue was, a place of Torah study, but it wasn't church. So we can't go to Nehemiah 8 and see, Matt hates pastors, Matt hates pulpits, Matt hates the church. You're just trying to destroy everything we got going on. Relax, man, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just going back to the Bible. And if we go back to the Bible and we look for the word pulpit and we say there's an individual who has the right with the title of pastor at a church building in order to preach, that is error. So what was Ezra doing? Ezra was reminding all of the Israelites, these Hebrew people, you guys are not obeying this. And he didn't even say that. He gave no commentary. He gave no opinion, nothing. He simply got up on a wooden platform and read the book of the law. And it took him several days. The people began to weep at him reading that. Why? Because their ancestors agreed to obey everything in the book of the law. When this was put in place by Moses, Moses presented it to the people from God and said, will you do this? And the people said, yes, we will obey everything written in the book of the law. Not just 10. You know, our modern church has cherry picked 10 of their 613, but they had to keep all 613. Also, you had to be Jewish. So if you're not a Jew, you're not allowed to obey any of the 613, let alone 10. Deuteronomy 4.2 says, do not add to the law. Do not take away from the law. Ephesians chapter two says, if you're a Gentile, you weren't involved with that covenant. So you attempting to obey just 10 of the 613 is error. You don't have to, you don't need it. When you first hear that, you think Matt's telling people to lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you that's not for you. Now, why were these people weeping? Because not only were they lying, cheating, stealing, committing adultery, they were not observing everything written in the book of the law, the other 603. So they were weeping and they were cut to the heart because they promised God, according to the old covenant, we will do this. They did not. That's the context. Nehemiah 8.4, Ezra's reading the book of the law to the Hebrew people. They weeped, wept, because they weren't doing it. He was trying to get them. That's what the, all this rebellion is in regard to the old covenant. We see all these things about, you know, all these prophets reminding Israel, hey, you promised God. Hey, you promised God. Hey, you promised God. And on this side of the cross, it's not based on humanity's pro promise to God. Hebrews chapter six tells us it is based on two unchangeable parties promise. The father and the son, that covenant was brought in at the cross, okay, through blood. That's why the book of Hebrews says a covenant cannot come into effect without the shedding of blood. So when Jesus went to the cross, he finished the old covenant in himself. The old covenant was a promise between Israel and Yahweh. Ezra was trying to get them to repent back toward their covenant, the covenant was flawed from the beginning. Why? 
Hebrews tells us because of the people's inability to keep up their end of the covenant. There's nothing wrong with the old covenant. All 613 are perfect, right, holy, and true. But the problem is nobody could obey this. And ultimately the, the 613 commandments were put into place because Hebrew, the Hebrew people wanted stuff to do and they wanted a king when God had freed them from Egypt, they got rid of a king. They got rid of all of this arbitrary stuff from the Egyptians and they're out in the wilderness and they're like, put us back under something, God. So he, <laughs> he picked out Moses and then kings were put into place and then the law was put into place. Romans chapter five tells us the law was put into place so that grace would increase. Why? Because when you realize I cannot obey these 613 commandments, I have to repent towards believing God alone. Then you understand the purpose of the law. Okay. But in Hebrews chapter six, we see that the new covenant is based on two unchangeable parties who do not have the opportunity to lie, who cannot lie the father and the son. So Christ completed the law in himself, brought in the new covenant at the cross, which is what he talked about at the last supper. This is the blood of the covenant in my name. Okay. Isaiah talked about this. Jeremiah talked about this. Well, Isaiah talked about Jesus. Jeremiah talked about this new covenant, which would not be like the old covenant. Okay. So we're going to go to an old covenant, new covenant. That's not what this walk talk is about. This walk talk is about pulpits in our churches. But if you want to dive deep into the differences in the old and new covenant, we are beneficiaries to that covenant. We are not promise keepers. We don't promise God anything. We receive. We're drowning in the ocean before faith in Christ. Okay. And God has already offered out salvation to us because of what Christ has done. He's not saying, take it. He's just saying, receive it. And you're not even having to ask for it. It's offered. So once you believe you accept that, if you want to go into great detail of that, that is like 75% of what my ministry is about. Just uh, Google new covenant, Matt McMillan ministries, Google old and new covenant differences, Matt McMillan ministries. If you want to look at anything I've written, you can read it for free. All you have to do is Google it. And now Google is indexing all my YouTube videos. So you can watch all the stuff that I've talked about on old and new covenant differences. Just Google it. All right. But that's the only case of the word pulpit in the Old Testament. And the more, more updated translations do not say pulpit. It says wooden platform. Other translations say podium. All right. So there it is. <laughs> all right. So that's, that's what we got in the Old Testament. Now let's go to the New Testament. <laughs> Let's start in Matthew. All right, now there's got to be countless, well, not countless, but there's got to be several mentions of a pulpit from Matthew to Revelation. There's got to be because we're getting all of our theology from a person named Pastor from a location at a building in a spot of that location called a pulpit. It's, let's just thumb through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and all the epistles, and then Revelation. It's got to be there, right? Wouldn't you think? <laughs> it's not. I say this all the time. It's not there. <laughs> the word pulpit is not in the New Testament. Wouldn't it make sense? 
that because we have so many edifices with First Baptist, Second Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Third, Fourth, Fifth, whatever Baptist, <laughs> Pentecostal, Covenant Bible Church, whatever, all these different locations with a pulpit, the very focus of what every person is supposed to be centered on, every part of the day is building up to this climax of an excellent sermon from a person named Pastor on stage at a pulpit. And everything revolves around this. It revolves around Pastor so-and-so. Pastor does this. Pastor says that. Pastor taught this. Pastor did this, said this in the pulpit. We're supposed to go to the Bible for truth. Am I right? But yet not one time from Matthew to Revelation do we see any notion of not only not a pulpit, but there's no pulpit there. But we don't see anybody with a title in a pulpit. Our modern church has completely ignored scripture. Our modern church has completely turned its back on everything the New Testament says in regard to this topic. We have done what Jesus chastised the unbelieving Jews for doing. And he said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of Moses. Excuse me. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your man-made traditions. We've done the same thing. Because when we find the word pastor, it's only used once in Ephesians 4.11. Don't you think if the end all be all Regal, presidential, superstar title of what we see today of a pastor, a person named pastor in a pulpit is what the church is supposed to be focused on. Everything centered around it. It would be in one part of the New Testament letter. It's nowhere to be found. Our church has a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe man-made tradition. Now, of course, when Jesus said this to the Jews in, in Mark chapter 7, verse 9, he was describing how they were setting aside the commandments of Moses. Because back then, they were still under those commandments. So for us, what are the commandments of God? How are we, Matt, setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe man-made tradition? Well, a couple of different ways. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> First of all, what are the commandments on this side of the cross? Is it any of the law? No. 2 Corinthians 3.8 says that is a ministry of death and condemnation. What are the commandments? The law, the 613 commandments, that was for Israel, remember? It ended, it, it is finished, Jesus said, in himself at the cross. Okay, so what are the commandments? 
There's only two commandments on this side of the cross. So often we see the word commandment and our head explodes. But if we will just understand, is this a commandment from Moses, one out of the 613, or is this a commandment from Jesus? Jesus has two. Two commandments. And they cannot be combined. That's like putting new wine into old wineskins, Jesus said. The wineskin will burst. You cannot mix the, the covenants. A little bit of yeast leavens the whole lump. Imagine drinking a, a, a crisp, clear glass of ice water or ice cold water, and then somebody puts one little drop of poison in there. That's what happens when we attempt to take any of the commandments from Moses and put them in with the new covenant. There's no place for that. You have to consider yourself dead to the law, Romans chapter six, Romans chapter seven, and alive to Christ. Is the law still there? Yes. If you want to use it, good luck. But the law is not for the righteous. And of course, we as people in the new covenant camp, we don't use the law for anything in order to bring people to Christ. Paul did not go from Corinth, Ephesus, Thessalonica, all these different cities preaching the law. He went to all these different cities telling them about Jesus. Okay, so we don't use the law. The only time Paul used the law was when people attempted to use the law for righteousness. We see this in Romans. We see this in Galatians. So if somebody, and we also see this when he wrote to Timothy, if somebody wants to use the law, then we can preach the law like Jesus. Be perfect like God. Sell everything. You have heard, but I tell you. So we expose the true standards of the law, which are the 613 commandments. But if, if somebody wants to use it, then I'll go down that path with them. But I will never approach anybody telling them you're doing a bad job of obeying the law of Moses. Okay. My ministry and the only ministry any of us are competent to teach is the ministry of reconciliation. Your complete forgiveness, your complete righteousness. We're all competent to, pe to preach this. Paul told the Corinthians this. You are all competent to preach the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled himself to you. Now be reconciled back. How did he reconcile himself to us? Through Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection. Okay, so that's the commandments of Moses. So we don't want to get into the habit of saying our modern church, when I say modern church, I'm talking about Christianity who is alive today. We don't want to say our modern church has done a fine job of setting aside the commandments of Moses in order to observe the commandments or the tradition of men based on Mark chapter seven. That's not the context. Jesus is rebuking them because he's saying, you want to follow the law? You're setting all of them aside. You're a whitewashed tomb. Do a better job because they couldn't. <laughs> okay. And you're doing all these traditional things of men, which are not even in the law. Okay, so you need to get rid of your man-made tradition. You need to repent back towards the law and then come talk to me. Okay, the rich young ruler, he was struggling with that. So many people will go to the story of the rich young ruler and they're like, see right here, Jesus is telling him to obey parts of the 10 commandments. No, this person bragged on everything he had done to Jesus according to the law. So Jesus, what did he do? Anytime somebody wanted to use the law in, the, in their effort to prove to him I'm righteous, you lack one thing. And he told him to go sell everything. Why would he say that? Because 
the rich young ruler had become rich because according to the old covenant, God would bless you with great wealth if you obeyed the commandments. And God did. See this in Deuteronomy 8. So he approached Jesus with that, with the commandments and said, I'm doing a great job. What else do I got to do? Jesus is like, hmm, go sell everything. Well, he's walking away. I'm sure thinking, this is just my opinion. Well, I have gotten rich off of obeying the commandments. I'm not selling everything. This is why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God because he was referring to those who had gotten rich off of law observance without faith. This is not about not having money. So when people want to say, oh, you can't have money. And when he said you can't serve both God and money, same context. They were serving God. They were not serving God because they were serving themselves by obeying the commandments. Therefore, God is doing his part of the law which was blessing them financially. Does that make sense? Okay, so that was a <laughs> rabbit trail I ran down there. I'm gonna get back on here. Um, the commandments that they had set aside was the law of Moses. For us on this side of the cross, when we, give me just a moment guys, my shoe is untied. Let me get this real quick. And let me put my little, hand towel you guys don't know this but i got this little hand towel at the bottom of my phone here if you're watching on youtube you can see me if you're listening on the podcast i just held up a little hand towel and i put it on the bottom of the phone because it's when it's windy it really hits the microphone and you guys could really tell when i first started doing these walk talks the first first 10 or 15 walk talks i did it was just like but then i started putting this hand towel at the bottom and you guys it sounds like i'm almost sounds like i'm in a almost sounds like i'm in a studio here but anyway all right, so, so how are we setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe our man-made tradition? Okay, so the commandments of God for us, John tells us in the book of 1 John, it's two things, believe and love. That's it. And John says his commands are not burdensome. So Jesus has two commandments, believe and love. Moses has 613. Okay, so they were setting aside the commandments of Moses. We set aside believe in love when we focus on a pulpit and an, individ and an individual with a title because we are setting aside how we are supposed to believe. We are setting aside how we are supposed to love one another because we are going back to Judaism, so to speak, air quotes, because they had a temple. Ezra stood on a pulpit just once though. And if you look at Judaism, th this wasn't even a practice of theirs. This happened one time. There wasn't one person on a wooden platform, on a podium, according to Judaism. But when we look at this side of the cross, we see no indication of the need to do that. We, we see no direction. We see no encouragement. We see no connotation of a pulpit. We see no connotation of a person with a honorific title. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 12 says we are a body. And if there's only one part, Paul said, where is the body? So if it's only one part of a person with a title, with a title of pastor or named pastor so-and-so, even in the new covenant camp, yes, I said that too. We are operating erroneously because that's not in the Bible. 
We're supposed to go to the Bible for truth, right? So what does the Bible say about a pulpit? Nothing. No direction for it. No indication of, oh my gosh, I got to learn everything from that, that location. Oh my gosh, I have to focus all my attention on that location. Oh my gosh, this is God Almighty in this wooden platform or glass. It's, it's not in the Bible. But when you hear this, because it's so prevalent on Pastor Earth, on, on, Pastor Earth, on planet Earth, <laughs> yeah, Pastor Earth, but there's pastors everywhere in a pulpit, but it's not in the Bible. Even when we look for the word pastor, we, like I said, we see it one time. You guys hear this on all my introductions because I say that in my introduction because I want to get your focus off of a person because I've been there. So everything in my introduction, I am trying to renew your mind to some stuff. The pastor is, is the only part of my introduction where it's, I'm teaching something. And I say, I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person just like you. So what is a pastor? It's another word for shepherd. Some translations don't even say pastor. It says shepherd. It is somebody who is good at overseeing. Okay, so we got that. Another word is overseer. So we got that. Okay, so it still does not give any inclination of this person in a pulpit. It still does not give any inclination of this person having authority over you. It's still, even knowing what it means, does not give any direction of steps to take to become that. Because it is not a position. It is not a title. It is simply a shepherding gift. Somebody who is good at overseeing a group. It says nothing about a pulpit. It says nothing about them giving a sermon. It says nothing about them being on stage. It says nothing about them being at the top and then you got associate pastor, you got sub, sub, whatever, and you got all this. It's not there. We only see one chapter in the New Testament with any type of direction or description of our gatherings. Just one chapter that describes our gatherings in any type of great detail. First Corinthians 14, that's it. So we're supposed to go to the Bible for truth. We're supposed to go to the Bible to establish how we are supposed to live our lives personally, how we're supposed to live our lives in groups, how we're supposed to interact with people, how we're supposed to love one another, how we're supposed to express ourselves. But yet what we see today in these church buildings with a pulpit, with a pastor, completely oversees everything from 1 Corinthians 14. The, the organism of the ecclesia, the body of Christ, is completely brushed to the side, is completely ignored. All we have to do is read 1 Corinthians 14. And I recommend reading 1 Corinthians 12 before that because 1 Corinthians 12 explains how we are a body and the body is meant to love one another. The body is meant to use your gifts to serve one another. It says we all have different gifts and ways to serve 
but the same Lord. It doesn't say we all have the same gifts and ways to serve, but different pastors. It doesn't say that. The hand does not say to the foot, I don't need you. The stomach does not say to the heart, you are of no need. If one part of the body is suffering, the rest of the body suffers with it. If one part of the body is being honored, the rest of the body should rejoice. So the factions have to go away. The backbiting, the dissension, the resentment. Use your gifts to serve one another. You're not serving God. The book of Acts says he doesn't need anything. As if he is served by human hands. He is God. So what do we use our gifts for? To serve one another. So if I'm pissed off at you, I don't want to serve you. Therefore, <laughs> I need to listen to Christ within me, who is the head. And I need to make a decision to forgive you because I love you because you are my kneecap. <laughs> If I am refusing to do that, how am I supposed to bend my knee? If I'm refusing to express patience, if I'm refusing to love others, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit who is within us. So you have to find a way, which is only through Christ within you, to love the body. 1 Corinthians 12 is a beautiful chapter of how you are supposed to care for others because they are all part of the body. And does 1 Corinthians 12 say anything about a pastor? Nope. Does it say anything about a pastor in a pulpit? Nope. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even say anything about a head in regard to us. It just says, we are body, we are body parts. And then Paul told, told the Colossians, the Colossians 1.18, Jesus is the head of the body. And then what does he say the body is? The church. Christ is the head, not a pastor, not an evangelist, not a Christian author. Not somebody who's really good at singing. Not somebody who's really good at encouraging. Not somebody. Not somebody. It's Jesus. So you got Jesus who is the head. And then you have the body. Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body. The church. We are a body. But if we look at the only indication in scripture of any type of gathering where it's recorded we see it in 1 Corinthians, a little bit in 1 Corinthians 11, but mainly 1 Corinthians 14. And when we look at 1 Corinthians 14, what do we see? Again, do we see a pastor? No, the word pastor is not in 1 Corinthians. The word pastor is only in the book of Ephesians, and it's a spiritual gift. Okay, so we got to scrap that from our mind. There is no honorific titles on this side of the cross. There is nobody who is greater than you. There is nobody who has authority over you. There is nobody in the body. There, there's no person in the body who has the right to have authority over you. You are free. You're free. So 1 Corinthians 14, what do we see? 
people just getting together. One person sings a song. One person has something to say. Another person has something to share. That's it. How simple. How ecclesiastical. <laughs> How church-like. You know, the word church didn't even become the word church until around the 13th century. The original word was ecclesia. Ecclesia. Ooh, ooh, shoot, that was a big pause there. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm having a, having a cellular connection issue here. When I'm out here walking in my neighborhood, my phone is bouncing off all these different cell towers. And when I go, I, I live out in the country, um, and I'm very rural. Sometimes I go down in these dips, and it'll, it'll drop the, the connection. But when we um, look at... 1 Corinthians 14, they, first of all, the first church building wasn't even erected until around 200 AD. And Corinthians was written, what, around 50 AD? So this is not talking about a church building. That's the first thing we got to get out of the way. This is not a group going to a building named church. This is just them getting together somewhere at somebody's house or in a field or wherever. Okay, so they got together and then each person used their gift to share. 1 Corinthians 14.3 tells us exactly what we're supposed to be doing with our gifts. Somebody has a song, a, a song to sing. Somebody has uh, something to say. Somebody else has something to say. Something has, somebody has a revelation that they've heard. You know, A revelation would be something based on the truth of the gospel. This is not new revelation. This is something based on the complete forgiveness of Jesus and complete righteousness of Jesus. A revelation would be somebody you know, at, at this gathering who stood up and said, said, I finally understood today that I'm forgiven once and for all time. That would be a revelation. Okay, but they just got together. No pastor, no pulpit, nothing. <laughs> they just got together, hung out, shared. If they were suffering, they suffered together. If somebody was honored, they rejoiced with them. That's the church. That's the church. Why? Why, why are we to this point? Why do we not see that anywhere? Why is our modern church so pulpit-centered? Centered. Why is our modern church so pastor-centered? Same thing Jesus told the whitewashed tombs in uh, Matthew chapter 7. We are... Setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe the tradition of men. That's it. Ooh, sorry, guys. That's another pause. Must be, must be bad today. So what do I mean by that? We're, here's what I mean by that. Okay. So if the word pastor with what we see today is not in the Bible, and we're supposed to go to the Bible for everything. Where do we get this from? Where are we getting one person in charge of everything? If it's not in the Bible, it's not there. Oh, well, the other elders, the elders, same thing. They have, they're not in a pulpit. They're not in charge. We don't see anything like that in 1 Corinthians 14. An elder is simply somebody who is old, older in the faith. Elder literally, literally means old person. 
That's it. And we see the word elder more than the word pastor. And deacon. Deacon is the same word as elder, only it's somebody who might be a little bit younger. But if we're going to, this is a quick side note, if we're going to say, oh, but it, it, it's not pastors, but it's elders. We don't see that in 1 Corinthians 14. We don't see that anywhere. There's no elder. If that's the case, then why are we not going and getting a word from elder so-and-so on Sunday from the pulpit? Or deacon so-and-so. Oh, well, they preach sometimes. Okay, so why aren't they doing it all the time then? Tradition of men. It's so superimposed onto our mind is we can't fathom that pastors in a pulpit is not in the Bible. Elders in a pulpit is not in the Bible. Deacon, in a, it's not in the Bible. And this is what's happened. It's just like the Jews. Pass down man-made tradition. Pass down man-made tradition. Because it's not in the Bible. So we have this word pastor. Around 100 AD, Ignatius of Antioch created this position. Man-made tradition. He took this word, put somebody in charge, gave them the title of pastor. And then that pastor put another pastor in charge. And then that pastor put another pastor in charge. And then all of the laity, air quote, us lay Christians who aren't as smart as the pastor, we started to believe this erroneous man-made tradition of Ignatius of Antioch. And here we are. It's just like the Jews. Ignoring the commandments of God in order to observe man-made tradition. Same with us. Ignoring the commandments of God to believe and to love based on the new covenant in order to observe man-made tradition. And then what about the word pulpit? The word pulpit was created by man. Cyprian of Carthage. He, cre he created this word pulpit uh, with this where, a, where the actual pastor was in the pulpit around the third century. So there we have our other man-made tradition. So we got the man-made tradition from Ignatius. And then we got, we got the man-made tradition from Cyprius. Here we are. A couple thousand years later, we have set aside the commands of God to believe and love and to make this a body with one head and to gather and share and sing and love one another and suffer with one another and honor one another and forgive and to do everything you can to live at peace with all men without factions and without sectarianism. And then here we are. Split. First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Catholicism, Presbyterianism, Lutheranism, you name it. Pass down traditional error of men. Cypriot of Car Carthage, Ignatius of Antioch. I will say this, they had some cool names back then. <laughs> but that's what we're doing, guys. The reason why there are pulpits in our churches is because we have believed traditional, passed down, 
man-made error. Because when we go to the Bible, where we are supposed to get all of our truth from, we see no indication of a pastor. We see no indication of a pulpit. We see no indication of a top-down authority. We see no indication of anybody having any authority over you. We see no indication of qualifications for a pastor. We see some qualifications for elders and deacons. But that's still not what we see today. Some people have even gone to the elder position and said, you can't be a, a female elder because it says husband of one wife. That has nothing to do with the elder's sex. It has to do with one spouse. An elder is somebody who is mature in the faith. Somebody who is supposed to oversee the group like a shepherd. Somebody who can say, nope, you're completely forgiven. You're completely righteous. Nope, Jesus really did die and rise and rose again from the dead. But we want to say, unless you have a specific type of genitalia, you can't be an elder. Right here, it's got to be a man. No, friend. <laughs> this has to do with one spouse. Timothy lived in a Greek city. Paul is telling him, surround yourself with these type of people. So if he's surrounding himself with somebody who is older or mature in the faith, but yet they're practicing polygamy, they're not going to be able to lead anybody. They're not going to be able to guide anybody. They're not going to be able to help anybody suffering in this body. They're not going to be able to point anybody to Jesus because they're trying to sort out Melba and, 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 and Ethel and, you know, all their different wives, whatever they, their names were back then. It's one spouse. That's the qualification. So Timothy, I know the women are trying to infiltrate your church, but just refocus them on the fact that the family life is of value. Okay. They're trying to usurp you, but just remind them childbirth is a good thing. Remind them family life is of value and that we are equal. They're not to be over us. We're not to be over them. But even that section of scripture, people want to say, see right here, women can't preach. It doesn't say anything about women not preaching in the church. And again, here we go again. We go to this letter written to Timothy and we say, women can't be in a pulpit. Women can't be elders. But yet there's no pulpit in the Bible. <laughs> and there's no indication of any church building right here. This has to do with this group of people surrounding Timothy. That's it. So if we look to 1 Corinthians 14 and we see Paul letting them know, this is how you want to conduct this. You know, if you're asking your husband's questions in, in the middle of everybody else singing and speaking foreign languages in order to uh, let the visiting people know about Jesus, talk to your husbands at home. But yeah, we go to that passage and we say, women need to shut up and sit down in church. It's demonic. Satan has taken 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, what Paul wrote to Timothy, and it's just twisted all this up. When the reality is, we are a body, we are equal, we're all different body parts with one head, and our gifts are meant to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 14, chapter or 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 says. We are supposed to edify, encourage, and console one another. So if I'm edifying you, what am I going to edify you about? You're completely forgiven. 
Yeah, but nope, you're completely forgiven. Yeah, but yep, you're completely forgiven. So I'm building you up. But not only that, you're also righteous. Yeah, but yeah, but you're also righteous. So I'm building you up. I'm edifying you. Another translation says strengthen. So if I'm strengthening you, I'm not strengthening you on your own accord. I'm strengthening you in the truths of the Lord, what Jesus has done. So if I edify you, I'm edifying you about your complete forgiveness because of the blood. I'm edifying you about your complete righteousness because of the resurrection. Encourage. So when we meet and if I have something to say to you guys, you know, say we're all sitting in a circle or just hanging out and I stand up and I say something, I want to encourage you. So how could I encourage you? The gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, your complete forgiveness, your complete righteousness, the ministry of reconciliation, your new identity, your new heart. Okay. Edify, encourage, consolation or console. If I console you, something tragic just happened to you, but you stand up as somebody who something devastating just happened to you. You stand up and you let everybody know about this peace that surpasses all understanding because you still trust Jesus. Even though this tragedy happened, I'm standing up and I'm consoling you guys because I understand who Jesus is. I understand the magnitude of what he went through in regard to dealing with our sin and dealing with our new identity. Dealt with the sin at the cross, gave us a new identity through the resurrection. So edification, encouragement, consolation, that's church. That's what we see when we see any type of descriptive passage about our gatherings in 1 Corinthians 14. That's what we see. Some, sometimes there were visitors who spoke foreign languages. And what is tongues? Tongues is foreign human languages we don't naturally know. Acts chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. It is not unintelligible repeated babble. It is me, if I have somebody here visiting, they speak Spanish, I don't speak Spanish. I stand up in the group and I say something in Spanish about Jesus to this person and then they believe. But imagine if you got all these different people speaking Spanish and you got this Spanish person visiting, Paul said, they will think you're mad. Take turns, okay? First Corinthians 14 doesn't say anything about Pay attention to pastor, sit up, wake up, turn the page, whatever, and listen to him and read along. Obey your leaders. It says nothing about that. It's a group getting together, loving one another, encouraging one another, edifying one another, consoling one another. My opinion is we got to get back to it. I don't know how, <laughs> uh, but just like when Paul was walking the streets of <laughs> Jerusalem and all this Judaism was around him, could you imagine him knowing this information and knowing the error of something that is so old and so practiced and so people will just kill you if you just disagree with it? Imagine how Paul felt. That's how I feel. 
I, I get told so often, you hate the church. You hate pastors. You're always trying to stir the pot. You're always trying to stir up trouble. <laughs> None of those things are true. And sometimes I can just relate to Paul so much. And yes, I'm going to talk about myself for a second. Because what Paul went through with the information that he knew about Jesus and the religious establishment of Judaism and how against what Paul's message was just resonates with me because I understand the cross and the resurrection. And our modern church is no different than what Paul was facing as he had to be lowered down the city wall in order to escape them. Beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, <laughs> thrown in prison. And he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He knew all their information. He was hunting people down <laughs> who opposed him. He was there when the first Christian was martyred. And the Bible says he gave hearty approval to it. Stephen. So if you feel lonely in regard to the message that you know about Jesus and you are standing on the truth of the new covenant that there is no pulpit according to the Bible. There is no pastoral authority according to the Bible. There is no edifice that you have to attend in order to prove anything. There is no money you have to give in order to earn or, or gain or uh, prove. There is no behavior you have to stop. There is no behavior you have to start. There is no place you have to go. You just have to do the work of God, which is to believe in the one whom he has sent. One time, by grace, through faith. That's it. I will stand on this until the day I die. And I walk up to Paul in heaven. I'll be like, hey, man, what's up? Let me tell you what happened with me. And we're going to have some stories to talk about. And I'm going to feel like I was in a nursery compared to what he went through. Because, yes, we are free in America to say what we believe, Paul was not. I know he would be against the pulpit. I know he would be against a top-down authority. I know he would be against top-down uh, uh, titles. I know he would be against it because he bragged on everything. And then what did he say? I count all of that as dung. It means nothing. I wish to know nothing among you except for Christ. Don't argue over the law. Love one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Each of you have something to share. 
Each of you have a song to sing. Each of you have something to say. Love one another. Serve one another. Take your focus off of titles. Take your focus off of locations. You know, this is, <laughs> this is ultimately the, the sword that divides the gospel message. It divides families. There's countless people who grow up in traditional man-made religion and then they learn this truth of the new covenant and then they are cut off from the family because daddy is pastor so-and-so. Happens today. All the time. So, So why are there pulpits in church because our modern church has done a fine job of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe man-made tradition of a couple quote founding fathers that's why Jesus said call no man father don't look to man for tradition. When it comes to anything between you and your creator, look to Jesus. Look to the new covenant. Look to the cross. Look to the resurrection. Get together if it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible. You're just in a community where it's not possible. But if it is, get together. Don't forsake the gathering. But when you do, it is to encourage one another. And if you can't, you can't. Don't turn that into a work. Don't beat yourself up. All right. All right, guys. So I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope it has brought to light maybe some errors about the pulpit. And I hope it's helped you focus on Jesus, because that is ultimately my goal. So always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. And you, my friend, are awesome. Have a great day. Love y'all. Always tell the truth about yourself. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.